Okay, well, we're going to continue our series that we've been looking at on sustainable power. And uh, this is the third talk, so if you missed the previous two, I'd recommend that you go to our website. They're available to download and listen to from the website. And uh, just, um, I feel God's gone before us on every occasion that we've kind of spoke on this. And uh, I feel it's in God's really owning what he wants to say to us at this time as a church. And so, I don't feel this morning's been any different with some of the contribution and um, things that have been said this morning. I feel it's right where uh, we are and where God's leading us at this moment. And so my talk this morning is unbelief to faith. So, it gives it away, doesn't it? I guess that confirms God's been speaking. And I guess that actually in our westernised church, unbelief is rife. Believers are good at not believing. We can believe in God, but then we put our faith and our trust in God, receive salvation, but then there's other things that we just struggle with. There's other things that we we don't trust and we don't believe what God says. And uh, it can be because there's personal conflicts within. Maybe it's down to past experiences, expectations, all those kind of things that can uh, cause us to be in a place of unbelief rather than in a place of faith. And the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we're just going to look at a passage, Scripture of Mark, chapter 6, if you want to turn to it. It will come up on the screen as well. Eventually it will come up on my device as well. I thought these were quick. this, reading from verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him, talking of Jesus. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and his own household. And he could do no, no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marvelled because of their unbelief. And he went about amongst the villagers teaching. And he marvelled at their unbelief. You kind of think, actually, he'd be marvelling at their faith. And he should have been able to marvel at their faith. But he didn't. He was marvelling at their unbelief, the measure of their own unbelief, place of no faith. And it's so easy to get ourselves into a place of not believing God. And I think even some of the things that said this morning, even Kathy's testimony, there's times when we... God said something, and yet we don't actually truly believe it. I'm privileged enough to get to go around a few different churches, been involved with a few churches over the years, and been around. And as I go, I find what Jesus found, that amongst some there's a lack of faith. There's unbelief. In fact, I think it might be fair to say that amongst the Western United Church, it's probably rampant unbelief around, that people don't truly believe what God says, don't truly accept, so you go and you 
pray for the sick and few respond when you offer to pray for the sick. I went to one church recently um, in the evening, I think, I don't know if Dem was with me actually at the time, and I, uh, I said to them, is anybody sick here? I'd love to pray for you. And nobody responded except for this response was, we don't do that sort of thing in this church. <laughs> and I thought, I've crossed the line here then. <laughs> I've probably blown that and I'll never get an invite back here again. <laughs> and it was, I was astonished that here's an offer where Jesus could heal you, but we don't do that kind of thing here. It's astounding. But it's rife across the church, in Western Ice Church, yet you can go to other nations. And even in India, we, a lady came forward and said, I want to bring my sick mother to be prayed, or mother-in-law to be prayed for. She's got cancer. Because even though she's Hindu, and we're talking about Jesus, faith rose. And she fetched her mother-in-law, and we prayed, and we asked her, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he can heal you? And she said, yes. So even amongst the non-believers, there's faith. And yet amongst the people of God, there's a lack of faith. And it's scary. I have to say, I find it pretty scary that there's such lack of faith around. And so for us too, we need to check our hearts. We need to check ourselves. Are we in any way having unbelieving hearts in any area? I, I'm, I'm working through this myself. I'm not saying I've arrived at a fresh place of faith. I'm not saying I'm believing for absolute wonderful miracles and so on. And even when Lizzie came to me and asked me to pray for a finger, you feel the challenge. And you think, I'm praying for a finger. Do I really believe that this is going to be healed? And I had to do a quick battle, go through a quick thing in my mind and in my heart to say, am I, am I going to pray with faith? Or am I going to pray with somebody? To kind of just because they've come to me to want prayer. And I have to admit, there's been times where I've prayed for somebody because they've come for prayer, but I've not been in faith. And there's things I've fought for faith for. So I can, I'm happy to pray for people with cancer because I've fought for faith to believe that people with cancer will be healed. And I've seen God do that. I have faith when it comes to barren women because I've seen success. I've seen God do it. I've prayed and God's healed and God's worked a miracle. And some of those have been absolute miracles. There's no other explanation. It's been a miracle. And I have faith for that. But there's other things. If the blind, somebody blind came to me, somebody deaf came to me, if somebody who kind of needed a leg to grow, I'm not sure I've got faith for that. I haven't had to fight for faith for that, I guess, in a sense. But I know there's aspects of my own life where I'm unbelieving. How about you? See, two years ago, God spoke to me about a promise of the future, of my future. And since he spoke it, I've battled to believe it. Because everything about my circumstance and situation says opposite. Everything about what I face says opposite to the promise, to what God said. And I battle for faith. And even just recently, as I've been looking at this, as I've been praying to and saying to God, I really, I'm really struggling here, and please, I need some help. Please, will you intervene in this? That same prophetic 
word, that same prophetic promise has come through three other people who know nothing about the previous one. And God's trying to help my faith. He's trying to stir me again. And I have to battle the thoughts. I have to battle the things that say in my mind, I'm not sure I believe that. I'm not sure that's true. Because my circumstances don't line up with that. Well, it's not about that, is it? It's not about our circumstances lining up. It's about our heart lining up. Circumstances you can set aside. It's about, does my heart line up with what God says? Am I going to choose to believe what he says? Or am I going to choose to believe my own thoughts or the lies the enemy might throw in? Or am I going to believe my circumstances and say that my circumstances are going to dictate my future, not God? And I think that so often those other arguments win the day. And we have to come back and fight again for fresh faith. So there's effects upon our lives when we don't step out of faith, when we're not living in faith, when we're not trusting God, when we're not putting all that we are in on the things he said and the things he's promised. When we're not looking to that, it separates us from God firstly. There's a separation that comes because we're not lining up with him. We're not lining up with the things that he said. We're lining up with something else. And we get separated from God in a sense we, because we're not coming into line with him. There's a form of separation. And it separates us from the plan he has for us particularly. So we're not away from God because God's always with us. But his plan for us, we become detached from. And we're not pursuing it because of unbelief. Stops us entering into God's rest for us. Because actually when, when we give ourselves and we're trusting God, there's a rest in that. There's a place where we just know peace. We can know contentment and rest. And we can't enter that rest because we're going through a constant turmoil of battle in our minds, in our hearts. And we need to settle it. And sometimes it can take a long time to settle the arguments. It can take a long time to settle what God says is true. And even Ian's word this morning about dreaming dreams again. And I shared last time that David said that a few weeks ago about dreaming dreams and I'd kind of been quite, sorry God saying I'm not doing that again. A bit defiant in my response. And I'm still working through that, if I'm honest. I'm still working through what it is to see dreams resurrected again. To see things God spoke over me as long ago when I was 14. Still yet to come to pass. And I've got to let God revive them again. And it's stopping me. Unbelief will stop me entering fully into that. It can cause us to fall away. We lose hope. We lose our hope in God. And it causes us to go elsewhere. It causes us to look somewhere else for our hope, for fulfillment, for enjoyment, for satisfaction. And we go to other things. And it takes our attention away from God. It can act as a poison. It gets in us. You know, you talk about... The, uh, it gets in like a root and it poisons us and the root of bitterness can grow up and resentment towards God and towards things that promises and truths that uh, are in the word of God we can just a root of bitterness comes up against us and says actually I'm not going to believe that anymore I can't believe that anymore 
it's not true. One of the saddest things I, I heard was of a lady, I think it was some years ago, I was with Karen's house and a lady knocked on the door, a Jehovah's Witness. And she said she used to go to the local parish church, but she didn't find truth there. She found it as a Jehovah's Witness. I thought, what? What? How? And you wonder, what happened? What happened to that lady who had to go somewhere else and look somewhere else because she didn't find it in the Church of Jesus Christ? It's sad. Think about unbelief is it doesn't just affect us. It's kind of one of those things that rubs off. It kind of other people catch that sense of unbelief. Other people that are close to you, other people around you tend to tends to rub off on them and they start questioning. They start saying, Is this right? Is this true? Can this be possible? And it rubs off. So whole communities, whole groups of people start to get affected by unbelief. And that's true of what happened in that church I was in. The whole church were affected by unbelief. It wasn't just the guy who happened to speak up, but it was a whole congregation were affected by unbelief. Well, we don't even believe God heals today. I was, years ago, I, our children used to go across the road to an evangelical church where I live, and they used to do a great Friday night kids club. And our children used to go across and used to do loads of fun games and everything. Then, end of every term, they'd have a, have a family event. So we'd go and we'd play some games and stuff, and they'd feed us. And this particular night, I'm just sat there having something to eat, and this guy targets me. And I, was, I don't know him from Adam, but he targets me. And he starts asking me lots of questions and lots of things. So I start sharing things, and I discover partway through, it kind of dawns on me, this is the leader of the church, and he's targeted me. And uh, so I start sharing stuff, and he basically just could not accept anything about the activity of the Holy Spirit did not believe in miracles, did not believe in the things of the Spirit, did not accept healing happened, didn't pray for the sick because he didn't believe they'd get healed. And you think, so sad. And he went to Bible college with one of our New Frontiers guys, a guy, a well-known guy called Greg Haslam. And you think, how can two guys go to the same Bible college and come out so different? <laughs> it's because of faith and belief. What an unbelief. What did he choose to believe? At the end of the day. Because you can, you can have all the knowledge you can take, possibly take in. But without faith. That is just knowledge. And you don't act upon it. Nothing comes of it. It's just knowledge. And ultimately of course we limit the power of God at work in us and through us. We'll never see that power of God at work in us and through us to others while ever we're in a place of unbelief. If we haven't got faith for our communities, if we haven't got faith for what God could do, if we've not got faith that God could heal that sick neighbour, that sick colleague at work, if we haven't got faith that, that that person could come to know Jesus Christ, then we'll never do anything with it. We'll never go and tell them. We'll never go and pray for them. Never offer to pray for them. And sometimes it's not about, I'm just frightened to do it. Actually, it's, I don't believe God will ever do it. They come from that place of unbelief. And it's time to readdress some of these things, some of these places of unbelief. So there's three main areas where Satan will attack us, where Satan uses to get at us, to cause us to be in that place of unbelief, because he's really happy if you're not believing. 
He believes. He knows. But he's happy if he can get you not to. Because actually it makes his job easier. And he can get us into that place. And one of the things is, first of all, he can cause us to doubt our source, the revelation of who God is. The source of all our life. The source of power in our life from God. He can get us to doubt who he is. He can blind us to God. And the Bible talks about that. I mean, the scales drop from our eyes. We can see clearly what we once could only see dimly. We can see clearly now. And because Satan has blinded the eyes. And he comes to blind us from that revelation of who God is. That he's our unlimited source of life and power. He's the unlimited one. There's no limitation in him. He's only limited by us. And by our lack of faith. Limits God. He would seek to um, have us believe that God is not always loving. Not always kind. Not always good. One of the things I like about Bill Johnson is he will... He says, I will always, always, no matter what, I will declare that God is good. And I, will, I choose to believe that God is good. I'll not believe anything else. I'll not believe the lie that says he isn't good. He's always good. You see, faith is based on truth. And faith is based on us actioning the truth in our own hearts. He's taking that truth and saying about our truth, I choose to believe that. And I choose to reject the lie that says otherwise. And we live in a society that whatever's true for you is true. And we should accept it. But actually there's only one truth. And it's found in the word of God. And it's truth about him, it's truth, true about us, and it's true about the devil. Every word of it. It's the final authority on everything. No matter how far you understand it, no matter how, what revelation, depth of revelation you have over the scriptures... And some have greater revelation than others and we're always learning. And we're always, God's always opening our eyes to more. But whatever level we have, it's always the final authority. Because it's truth. Revealed by the Spirit from God. And when we get into that place of we're deceived by who God is, who our Father is, who the source is, we'll find it hard to approach him. We we'll find it hard to come as that little child, as Jesus said, suffer little children to come to me. I would, I would that you become like little children, because that's how we receive. But we get robbed of that, and we can't approach in that way, because we feel like he's going to be maybe harsh, or maybe he hasn't got good gifts to give us. Maybe he's got bad things to give us. Maybe he's going to take us ways that are going to be difficult and hard, and we don't want that, because he's not a good God when he truly is. Truth is, he's the source of all true life. And we're to live in that. Secondly, he seeks to rob us of our own identity in Christ, of who he's called us and made us to be. The fact that we are dear children. That he gave us the right to be called the children of God. That we can go to our Father and ask for anything. Because we're children. We belong to him. We've been bought with a great price. There's no greater price that has ever been paid or could be paid to win someone and to rescue someone and adopt us as sons of God and not orphans. And I spoke about being orphans last time. 
and having an orphan heart. He would have that we are, we know what it is to live in the fullness of sons and in the joy of sons, the joy of children of God, to live in that, in the fullness of that, and enjoy that and know that. And there's more, always more to explore and enjoy. There's always more we haven't yet learned. There's not one person who has lived who has fully gone to the extent of God's delight for us and God's provision for us and God's joy for us. We'll know it all when we're in heaven. But we can know a lot of it while we're on earth. And we can enter into more of that than we already have done. Every one of us. The full benefits of heaven are for you now. Not when you get there. They're now. They're for us now as a community. They're for us now as a people of God together in the peaks. They're for us now. The full benefits of being children of God are for us right now. He said in John 3, he said, I've not come to condemn the world. I've not come to condemn, but I've come to seek and save that which was lost. I've come that uh, I might show my love to a dying world. And no matter what you've done, no matter how sinful you think you've been, it's it's not unredeemable. It's okay. We're fully accepted. And we can still know the full benefits of the Father even though we might have sinned. Because we do every day anyway. Because we're human yet. Being changed from one degree of glory to another. Awaiting that day. And the next thing that he seeks to put us off is our purpose. See, we're here for a reason. He's called us for a purpose. Uniquely. Each one, individually, he's called us to a purpose. And the thing is, we, we can look at others and we can look to other things and we can say, I want that gift, I'd like to be like that person. And there's people that we look up to and we admire. There's people who we kind of look and think, oh, wouldn't it be great to be like that, have a gift like that, to be able to move in the things of the Spirit in that way. We can look at all those things, but God's made you uniquely you. And the thing is, he wants you to fully enjoy being who you are. He wants you to fully enter into who he's called you to be. He wants you to know the full benefits of being you. And living out that life. And You know, I, I do admire the great men who move in things of the Spirit, who have amazing healing ministries and prophetic gifts. Love it. But I'm also learning to be content in who God's made me to be. And saying, I just want to be fully who I'm called to be. Whatever that looks like, whatever that works out, however God chooses then to to use me and whatever doors he might open for me in that way, I want to be like that. I want to be that person that God's called me to be and fully know what that is and to live in that. Because if we're not doing that, if we're not allowing ourselves to be that, we're going to be trapped in limitations of our own souls instead of uh, looking to the source and, and the impossibilities of the world to come that we can have right now. See, we'll not beat sin as powerfully as we should if we're not living in the good of who God's made us to be and the fullness of that. We'll not be able to move in the gifts of the Spirit as fully as we could if we're limiting ourselves by not accepting who we are in Christ. We'll not bear the fruit of the Spirit that God intended us to bear as we should and we'll hinder the power of God at work through us. And it becomes limited. 
Because when we look at great men, actually what they've got, we can also have as we pursue God and as we allow him to work in us and change us. See, Jesus is always looking for faith. And even the disciples in in, uh, Matthew 14 and verse 31. And he rebukes his disciples for their lack of faith. And there's Peter walking on water and had a moment when he's on the water, he's out the boat. Faith rose, he gets out the boat and he's walking. But then he starts to see the storms around, starts to see the wind blowing. He's feeling all that and suddenly he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. Jesus rescues him but says, oh you of little faith. And even in the moment of a great faith, our faith can diminish quickly. In the moment of stepping out, we can be robbed of faith because we've taken our eyes off Jesus and we start to look at things around us. And we could do a whole talk around that. And I haven't got time. I'm running out of time fast. See, John the Baptist has a crisis of faith when in prison. Such that he sent his disciples to Jesus and say, are you the one or should we expect another? But previously he's already declared, Jesus, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. One greater than me is coming after me and it's you, Jesus. And he declared all that knowing that was true and yet in prison because he's looking at his circumstance. He's looking around him and he knows he's going to die there. And in that moment he has a crisis of faith. And unbelief comes because of his circumstance. He's fulfilled the purpose God had him do. He'd prepared the way for Jesus. That's what John's purpose was. To prepare the way for Jesus. He'd fulfilled the purpose. His time had come because he'd fulfilled the purpose. You yet haven't fulfilled your purpose in God. I want to say that to each one of us this morning. None of us have yet fulfilled our full purpose that God has planned for us yet. Because if he had, you wouldn't be here. Simple answer. You wouldn't be here if you had. You haven't yet fulfilled it. There's a purpose for yet for you to fulfill. And part of why we're doing this series is that we want to help you do that and us do it together. It might fulfill the purpose God has for us. And to take hold of that. And to do it. So how do we recognise then our unbelief how do we recognize a unbelieving heart how are we going to say well what is it what are the signs what are the telltale signs that i'm not in faith where i should be i'm not believing as i should be well i've got a few things here you just do a self-check it's good sometimes isn't it do a bit of a self-check so as i go down this list just kind of quickly do a self-check do you feel disappointed or let down by god Are you cynical when you hear stories of what God is doing? Even the stories you've heard this morning, did you respond cynically? All right for them. Good hell. So what? Are you critical? Do you have a critical spirit when it comes to the things of God and things of the kingdom? Critical of others who are moving in ministry so often people who move in with great anointings are very highly criticized by those who have unbelieving hearts is your first reaction to say that's impossible rather 
then this is a, a God opportunity to do the impossible. What's our response to situations? Is prayer a last resort for you? So if nothing else works, well, we might just try God, just in case he does something. Do you doubt God speaks to others as they claim? Or even speaks to you? Is it because you're not listening? Because you don't believe he will? Because you don't believe he's got anything to say to you? God's speaking all the time. It's down to our faith. Are you reluctant to receive prayer? Have you been prayed for before and it hasn't worked? See, there's a number of people I know will not come forward for prayer. I don't understand why sometimes, because every opportunity I like to get prayed for. Because I know God meets me. In meeting room there this morning, before the meeting. I'm desperate. God, I know I need you. I need you this morning. I need you to do something. And the guys pray for me, and I'm on the floor enjoying God, and it's wonderful. Because I know I need to encounter God. But are you reluctant? Have you resorted to accepting that your sins, your situation, your fears, your anxiety, whatever else you might want to add to that list, will never change. That this will be how it always is. Because that's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy that he wants you to believe that, is that nothing will change for you. It's just a lie. He, wants you. he loves you to believe that. That nothing can ever change. When it can actually. So how does this unbelief get in? How does it get into our hearts? How do we, how, we, we know some symptoms now and hopefully you've gone, gone through that checklist and you know your responses to that and I'm not going to ask you. We could do that, couldn't we? That would be interesting. No, I'm not going to do that. But what's the gateways to that? Well, John the Baptist was a clear one. He took an offence at his situation. He took an offence against God because he was in that situation Knowing who was going to die, he took an offence against God. Have you taken offence against God? It's a gateway to unbelief coming in when we take offence against God. And even that passage, we haven't got time to read it in Mark 11, at the end of just that short bit, bit uh, Jesus said, and blessed are those who are not offended in me. Blessed are those who are not offended in me. So he said it because John the Baptist was offended. We can get offended at God. The way he does things, the way he chooses, the things he's planned, the way he works things out, or maybe we think he didn't work out, we get offended. Are you offended? Do you refuse to believe the witness of others? Refuse to believe what others have said? That can't be true. I don't believe that. I've had that said to me. I can't believe that. That guy I was talking to, Bachelor said, well, I've prayed for sick people and they've got well. And he said, I don't believe it. I can't believe that. He refused to believe the witnesses of others. I know God's healed me. I know it's true. Do we mock? When we hear stories, not only do we choose not to believe, but do we mock in some way? Or are we just cynical? good for them 
So recognising our unbelief is really important. And there's a process in repentance. We have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge the place where maybe we gave it access, where we gave unbelief access into our own lives. Places where it's affected us. And the effects of that unbelief we need to deal with before God. And we need to come before God. You see these antidotes to this as well. Is one thing is choosing not to believe the lies. And when we hear stories, when we hear things, when God does something, let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate every good thing God does. It's one way that we can counteract unbelief is we, we give him the credit and we celebrate. But on the other hand of that, we don't hype it up either. We don't make it bigger than it is. Don't talk it up. Let's just say it as it is. Let's say the truth as it happened. Don't add to it. Don't, don't try and make it sound great because you want a great story to tell. Just say what God's done. Don't hype it up because it, it leads to unbelief. If something's hyped up, people say, well, actually, that wasn't true. That didn't happen. And unbelief creeps in because, well, how much, is the rest true then? Is all of it a lie? We need to be careful. We need to have ears that hear with faith. We have to put it through our faith filter to say, no, I'm going to accept that. That's truth. I'm going to let my faith rise to that. And the other, which we're very good at and very quick at in this country to do, is we judge. We judge others. We see something, we judge it. We read a book by a great guy, but somebody else will tell us something about it, we judge them. We're quick to judge in our nation. Westernised society, judging is just one of the things we do so easily. I hear it all the time at work. There's judgment made about people, about their character, judgment made about things they do. We're quick to judge. Let's not be. Let's not judge or withdraw. Let's just hear with faith. Let's receive with faith. So I've got to wrap this up. Hebrews 11 defines faith for us. Just put that up on the screen. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. That's the definition of faith. The assurance of things hoped for. It's not based on past experience, but fully on the promises and the provision that God's made. They're what we're hoping for. What are you hoping for? What is it? What is the dream you have? What is the hope you have? Because faith comes off from that. Faith is that. And faith's not dead, it's active. It's not dormant, it's not passive, it's active. God's made a way for us where we can live a life of faith. My question is, do you live a life of faith? Are you living in faith? Or what areas of unbelief are you battling with? What areas do you need to come to God in and fight for faith? Because it's, it's, there's a fight to be had. It's not a simple, so I'm going to choose to believe now. There's a fight for faith. It's in our mind, it's in our heart, but there's a fight for faith. And we have to work through that and we have to fight for it. And there's things I fought for in prayer. I found faith when I fought in prayer for faith. Over cancers, I fought 
in prayer, on my knees before God, crying out before God, I fought that I might have faith to see cancer healed and I've seen it because I've fought for it. And there's other things I want to fight for, for faith for. And it's, sometimes it's a tough battle to fight. But we can do it in prayer. We can get gifts of faith. God gives gifts of faith. And Simon Holly finishes his chapter in the book on the, with this. Clearly, we must deal with this rock of unbelief if we are going to create a church with sustainable power. Is that what we want? I mean, we're doing this series because it's what we want. But is that what we want? Do we want a church where we see sustainable power of God at work, where we see healing on a regular basis, where we see people set free on a regular basis, where people are walking through the door and saying, what must I do to be saved? Because of the power and presence of God amongst us. Well, I want that kind of church. I want a church where people are released into all the things, whether in the church or in their own workplaces and other places where they're released to do the things God's called them to do. You see, I think, I think we have, in the westernised church, is shackled so much. And it's not God's doing, it's our own doing by our unbelief. We're shackled with unbelief. And yet there's people out there, when I was very young, and I finished with this, I was very young, we had a visiting speaker come named Benson Haidahosa, and he was an African guy, and he just saw God do amazing things. And he sat in our meeting, our westernised, well-structured, well-ordered, very organised, calm meeting, and he wept. And he got up and said, why do you put my God in a box? Why do you restrain him from being God among you? And then he started to minister and saw miracles. And God just break out. And that's what I want. I saw something of what I longed for. And I don't want to put God in a box. I don't want us to put God in a box. I don't want our Sundays to be a, a nice, confined, ordered, this is it kind of meeting. It's so traditional, it's so organised. You know, you come and you know who's going to get up and speak. You know who's going to bring a word here, who's going to pray there, who's going to bring a, bring a Bible reading there. You're going to know who the worship leader is, kind of songs we're going to do. I don't want that kind of church. I want a church where God's free. But it starts with us being unshackled from our unbelief that we can allow him to be God amongst us. Shall we stand? Can we have the band back? Is that possible?